9. There we find a summary of God's word as follows about the Lord's Supper. How does the Lord's Supper signify and seal to you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all his gifts? In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup in remembrance of him. With this command, he gave these promises. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me, and the cup given to me, so surely was his body offered for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and the cup of the Lord as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely does he himself nourish and refresh my soul to eternal life with his crucified body and shed blood. What does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his shed blood? First, to to accept with a believing heart all the suffering and the death of Christ, and so receive forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Second, to be united more and more to his sacred body through the Holy Spirit, who lives both in Christ and in us. Therefore, although Christ is in heaven and we are on earth, Yet we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones. And we forever live and are governed by one spirit as members of our body are by one soul. Where has Christ promised that he will nourish and refresh believers with his body and blood as surely as they eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup? At the institution of the Lord's Supper, Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This promise is repeated by Paul where he says, The cup of blessing that we bless... Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And then let's skip to question and answer 79. Why then does Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood, or the new covenant in his blood, And why does Paul speak of a participation in the body and blood of Christ? Christ speaks in this way for a good reason. He wants to teach us by his supper that as bread and wine sustain us in this temporal life, so his crucified body and shed blood are true food and drink for our souls to eternal life. But even more important, he wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge, first that through the working of the Holy Spirit, we share in his true body and blood as surely as we receive with our mouths these holy signs in remembrance of him. And second, that all his suffering and obedience are certainly ours 
as if we personally had suffered and paid for our sins. After the sermon, we will sing together from Psalm 23, the stances 1, 2, and 3. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, it's not pleasant to be separated from loved ones. It can be quite disconcerting. Young adults experience that when they have to be away from home for an extended period of time, which sometimes happens because they found a job far away from family or because they have to go to a college or university in another city or province or country even. Parents also experience the pain of separation when their children start leaving home and live elsewhere. Then you miss your children and your grandchildren. But the pain of separation is especially felt when you're in love. Suppose you're engaged and you cannot be together with your fiancé for quite some time. This could happen, for example, when your fiancé has to serve overseas because he is in the army or because he has to go abroad because he works for an international company. In order to lessen the pain and not to forget each other, then you try to keep contact as much as possible. One of the things you would do, no doubt, is to exchange pictures. In the past, you would have put a printed picture in your wallet and look at it once in a while. Nowadays, we use social media. You send pictures to each other during your separation. You would also send pictures of the time when you were still together to remind each other of the relationship that you have. For it also brings to mind the fact that someday you are going to be together again and to live as husband and wife. Pictures help you during times of separation. It helps you look forward to better times, to being together again. It helps you to look forward to your wedding day, to the time that you will never be separated again for extended periods of time. But what has this to do with this Lord's Day, the deal with the Lord's Supper? Well, quite a bit. For the Catechism does that as well. The Catechism connects the Lord's Supper to marriage. If you look at what it says in answer 76, it says there that although Christ is in heaven and we are on earth, yet we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones. Now, what does that remind you of? Doesn't that remind you of what we just read together in Genesis 2 regarding Adam and Eve? When the Lord God created a woman for him, Adam was delighted. He saw how all the animals were created with a counterpart and how God made them male and female. And when he saw that, he wanted the same. The Lord God kindled that desire within him. Adam felt alone without a partner. And so God created Eve out of one of his own ribs. 
that made it doubly clear that they belonged together. They were one physically and spiritually. And therefore, their desire is also for each other. But that's also what the Lord God wants to have with us. He wants us to be one with him. And he wants us to be delighted in his presence. He wants us to experience the unity with him in every way possible. And that is why we go to church twice every Sunday, too. We need to hear God's voice. One of my grandchildren on the way here asked me, why do we have to go to church two times every Sunday? And I told him, because we love the Lord and the Lord loves us. And now the unity that we have with God through Christ is through the sharing of his body and blood. And that is represented by the bread and the wine in the Lord's Supper. He wants the unity between us to be as intimate and deep as the unity between a husband and his wife. That great joy Adam experienced, and which he spoke about when he cried out in delight, flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. And that, brothers and sisters, we can now experience with the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our groom. By eating and drinking his body and blood, we can experience the unity that we have with him. It's like that picture in the wallet. That's what the Lord's Supper represents. Lord's Supper serves as a reminder of the unity we have with Christ and also the unity that we have with each other, which is really precious. And that's what I want to preach to you about this afternoon. The theme is as follows. Eating and drinking makes you one with Christ and with each other. We will first look at the unity with God and then secondly, the unity with each other. Unity is often expressed in eating a meal together. That's what families do on a regular basis, or at least that's what a family ought to do. Family life is enhanced when you sit down together around the same table and share the same food. Families that do not eat and drink together will drift apart. Meals are not only a time of sharing food and drink, but also a time of sharing one another's lives. You talk about the things that have happened to you during the day and about the kinds of hopes and dreams that you have and the feelings and opinions that you have. You share one another's wisdom and insight. Mealtimes are very important in creating strong bonds. Family express their unity, especially on special occasions, don't they? Christmas, for example, and Thanksgiving, or a special anniversary. Those are times of celebration. You celebrate together by eating a special meal, and then you get together 
not only with close family, but also with family far away and with old friends and other people who are near and dear to you. At times like that, you celebrate by eating a meal together. Whereas normally you might not drink a glass of wine on those special occasions, you will do that. You look forward to and enjoy times like that, for that is a time of catching up and of enjoying one another's company. Well, that's why the Lord Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. He wants us to experience the fellowship with him in a meaningful way, in a way of celebration, in a way that we can enjoy and reflect on the bond that he has created with us. And the meal of the Lord's Supper is a time of remembrance, but also a time of joyously looking forward to what the future holds. It's significant that the Lord Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper at the time of Passover. That was a special time of the year for the Jews. Many of them went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. And the biggest part of the feast was the special meal that they would eat. The Lord God instituted the Passover meal in remembrance of what happened at the beginning of their history of of their history as God's nation. For as you know, the Passover meal was instituted when the Israelites were still in Egypt. That was a difficult time for them. As slaves, they were treated very harshly by the Egyptians. But then the Lord made promises to them. He promised through Moses that he would rescue them from slavery, from Egypt, He promised that he would set them free. And in order to bring that about, the Lord God sent many plagues upon the Egyptians. And just before the very last plague, the Lord God commanded them to eat a Passover meal. Each family had to slaughter a lamb, which was to be eaten with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. The leaven or the yeast represented sin. That whole meal was full of significance. Their lives were full of sin and the yeast was to remind them of their sin because yeast permeates the whole bread. But the bread had to be without yeast. Just like their lives had to be without sin. And the bitter herbs were to remind them of their bitter plight at the hands of the Egyptians. And the Passover meal was to be eaten while they were still standing to indicate their readiness to go on their journey in the desert away from Egypt. Ever since then, every year the Israelites would eat the Passover to remind them of what God had done for them. To remind them of that wonderful and great deliverance that they had in the land of Egypt when he brought them out of that land on their own in the desert to go to the promised land as free men and women. Celebration of the Passover supper at the time of Christ differed somewhat from the time of its institution. 
Wine representing the blood of the lamb would be drunk with a meal at four different times. So four times they would raise a glass together. First, just before the meal was served, and then after a small portion of the bread and the bitter herbs were eaten. And after that, they would sing the first part of the halal, which was the hymn of praise consisting of the Psalms 113 and 114. And then he would eat some more of the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs. And then finally, they would eat the Paschal lamb itself. It was then that the third cup of wine was poured. That was called the cup of blessing. It was called the cup of blessing because of the prayer offered over the cup. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, who gives us the fruit of the vine. After the fourth cup, the rest of the halal was sung, which were the Psalms 115 to 118. And that is the hymn referred to in the passage that we just read in the, at the time of the institution of the Lord's Supper in Matthew 26, verse 30. Many authorities believe that the specific verse that was sung was Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And so the Passover looks back with thankful remembrance to Israel's redemption and liberation from Egypt by the act of God. To remind them of how God was with them every step of the way as they were led out of Egypt and as they made their way through the Red Sea on dry land and through the desert, it is to remind them of how God cared for them, how he fed them, how he loved them, how he led them into the promised land, how he defeated their enemies. It was to remind them of the great bond that he had created with them. It was to remind them of the great love for them and of his desire to be near them. And now the Lord Jesus, when he instituted the Lord's Supper, connects it up with the Passover in a wonderful way. Just before the third cup, the cup of blessing, the Lord Jesus picks up the unleavened bread, which is like a big round cracker, and he breaks the bread into pieces and gives a piece to each one of his disciples. But instead of saying the normal words of blessing, he says something totally different. He says, this is my body. Of course, they understood very well that he was not referring to his own body as they took that bread that he handed out to them. It was obvious that the bread was not his actual body as the Roman Catholics teach. He was standing there bodily among them. No, he means that that broken bread represents his body. And after this, they eat the flesh of the lamb offering. And then the third cup is poured, the cup of blessing. But once again, the normal words of blessings are not uttered. This, he says, is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Now, 
that will have made quite an impression upon the disciples, don't you think? They would have wondered, what's the Lord Jesus doing? That's totally different from the way that we've always celebrated. Why does he change the Passover in this way? Of course, later on they understood this. They understood that these words of the Lord Jesus referred to the crucifixion. He was about to suffer for man's sins. They also understood that the lamb itself refers to the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus had to go to the cross as a lamb to slaughter. He had to shed his blood for them. That all became clear later. And so you see that there is a close connection and a great similarity between the celebration of the Passover as a feast of the old covenant and the Lord's Supper as a feast of the new. The Passover looks back with thankful remembrance to the people's redemption and liberation from Egypt by an act of God associated with the sacrifice of the Passover lamb of Christ. And that is why in the scriptures, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 or 7, he also links the two, the Passover and the Lord's Supper. For the apostle Paul says there in 1 Corinthians 5 or 7, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. The Lord's Supper looks at the wonderful thing that God has done through his son by giving us new life which he does in spite of the fact well, that we're not such a good bride. Isn't that true? Often our loyalties are divided, aren't they? We don't love God and long for him in the way that we should. We do not long to be with him as he longs to be with us. And that's why it's a good thing that, as the scriptures say, God loved us first. Can you imagine if that were in soul? He loves us in spite of our sins. And he wants to make sure that we understand that unity that he has created. He wants us to understand that in spite of our sins, we may still be one with him. It's this wonderful gift to us. And he also wants us to understand that when we eat the Lord's Supper, that then he is spiritually present. Through his Holy Spirit, his words are applied to us and given to us to dwell within us. When we celebrate and we hear the very words that the Lord Jesus himself spoke at the time of the institution, namely that he grants us the forgiveness of sins and gives us eternal life because of his shed blood and broken body. But he wants us to experience that in an even more meaningful way. That's our second point. When we eat and drink the elements of the bread and wine, then those elements become one with our bodies. The bread and the wine are then turned into flesh and blood. And in this way, we have a spiritual representation of our intimate sharing with Christ and his flesh and blood. And we do that together as a corporate body. In other words, we do that as a covenant community, as church. Collectively, we are the body 
of Christ. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 5 verse 30 where he speaks about us as being members of his body. And he calls this a mystery. Remember? But that mystery is revealed to us, the bride. And so it's not really a mystery for us. As believers, we now understand that we are one with Christ. And the Lord Jesus is working in us through his Holy Spirit so that on the last day we can be as a radiant bride, as a radiant church, as Paul says in Ephesians 5 verse 27. A radiant bride without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. And that is why we belong together. That's what we look forward to. And that is what we have already through the forgiveness of sins. And that is why we have to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Isn't it wonderful that we can do that? Through the blood of Christ, a great bond has been created with us as covenant children of Christ. See what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. It's not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, a participation in the blood of Christ. And it's not the bread that we break, a participation in the body of Christ. Because there is one law, one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. We live in a day, of, a day and age where people want to experience something in a real way, in a very personal way. They want to feel something. They want to feel that they are of some significance in one way or the other. They want something unique and spellbinding to happen to them. And so they look for ways to experience that so that their emotions and their feelings can be stirred to the core of their being. And modern churches cater to that desire. And that is why you have churches where people are brought into a trance by the music and by the repetition of certain phrases. And when you look at the way that we celebrate the Lord's Supper from that perspective, well, then that can be somewhat disappointing. People celebrate the Lord's Supper often with drawn faces and with serious looks on them seems also drab and sober, doesn't it? But now, take a close look and think about what really happens in the Lord's Supper. Think about it. That is where you can experience God's presence in a much more meaningful way through every sense of our being. We can hear the words. We can see the elements with our own eyes representing the body and blood of Christ. We can smell the bread and the wine and taste it. All our senses are engaged. It's indeed a somber event. But it's also a joyous event. It is a somber event because we remember our sins, but also a joyful event because we can experience the forgiveness of sins. Well, as we sit around the table or as we sit here in this church building, we can experience that joy. 
But in order to experience that in a meaningful way, you have to open up your heart. How do you do that? Through faith. Your faith is the mouth of your heart. And so faith is not just something that exists in your head, in words and thoughts and feelings, but it also engages your body, your hands, and your mouth. The symbolism of the bread and the wine is absolutely wonderful, for it brings to mind so many images. We need food and drink in order to stay alive. And we need the spiritual food and drink in order to remain spiritually alive. It is great to know that God feeds you and me. That he nourishes us. And that he gives us to drink to quench our spiritual thirst. And he does that especially on Sundays when we come together as covenant community to hear the preaching. For then you are fed with God's word. Then you are reminded of what God has done for you and what he will continue to do for you. And we need to hear that time and again. Because the devil is always at work trying to draw you away from God. And when we experience that in the Lord's Supper together, then we experience what we hear in the preaching in a different way. For then all our senses are engaged. And then especially we are reminded of what the first coming of the Lord Jesus was about. And we look forward to the second coming of the Lord Jesus. When he comes as groom for his bride. However, when the scriptures speak about the Lord Jesus as the groom and the church as his bride, and then we have to realize that the actual wedding has not yet taken place. We're still looking forward to that. The great wedding day is still coming. And you have to understand this from the customs concerning marriage during the days of Christ. For those customs were somewhat different from what we are used to today. At that time, you were first betrothed to be married. That is more than an engagement as we know it today. It actually meant that you are already married except that you do not yet live together. The dowry has been paid. Everything is ready, but you have not yet consummated the marriage. That will happen on the wedding day. In that sense, we are now already married to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are betrothed to him. But the actual wedding still has to take place. And that will take place on the last day. For that is when we can experience unity with Christ and with one another in fullness. Then we will truly be one with God and with each other. There will be no more barriers. There will be no more separation. And now we're looking forward to that final day. Are you? The book of Revelation speaks about the wonderful day as if it has already happened. Listen to what it says in Revelation 19, verse 7 and following. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, linen bright and pure 
for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. It's the fulfillment of what it says in Isaiah 62, verse 5, where the Lord God says, As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Are you living a life of expectation? Are you like that fiancé who is separated from a loved one and who is eagerly awaiting his return? Do you live your life in anticipation of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? Brothers and sisters, that will be a wonderful day. Oh sure, there's still a lot of living to be done today. God gives this time here on earth to enjoy ourselves. But this enjoyment has no meaning if you do not realize what God has done for you, how he has provided for you throughout your whole life. How he has sent his son in the flesh to die for your sins and to secure eternal life for you and for me. How he has protected you by giving you his word and his commandments to show you how you should live. How he has made you and me obedient to his call to serve him, to be one with him to be one with each other. It's wonderful, brothers and sisters, what we have. It's wonderful to be one together through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is no greater blessing. There are so many people who do not know what this is, what we have. Cherish it. And so, brothers and sisters, let the Lord God fill your heart and your mind and your soul with the knowledge of his presence and with the knowledge of the eternal presence that you will have with him in the life hereafter. The Lord God is near you. He is in your heart and in your mind. And he wants to remain there. And he wants, to, he wants you to experience him always in this life and in the life to come. Amen.